know, to be to be <laughs> realistic, that's how it is. Like we all have a terminal disease. We right. we're all leave the world at one point right. or another. Right. <laughs> that, that is true. But some people say, "Oh, that's very negative of you," you know. But <laughs> it's maybe negative, but it's a fact. But the, the the wonderful thing is, is I'm not really going to die. I'm eternal spirit soul. It's just this body is going to die. I'm going to be giving uh, a talk in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, to um, a group of people that have ALS all over the world. One of my main focuses will be to tell them you're not this body that's um, falling apart on you. You're the spirit soul within the body. So I'm hoping that will be of some help and teach them how to meditate. Yeah. Because if you think you're the body and your body is falling apart, that is a depressing situation. Hi there, and uh, welcome to the Breaking Trail podcast. This is Ruben here, and uh, you'll meet my friend and teacher, Balakia, as well as an old friend of Balakia called Madhavendra today. She uh, was diagnosed with ALS nine years ago and still going strong, still teaching meditation. And it's just a wonderful inspiration of uh, how meditation can give us that internal strength and light through the difficulties we may face. Yeah, so I, I, I think Manavendra can talk for herself. I just wanted to hear briefly, like, how how you know Madhavendra and what 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 you know about her? So, like, so we know a little bit of her background, perhaps. Maybe well, it's... Madhavendra is from Australia, mm-hmm. and so I met her in Australia many many years ago, in probably the late nineteen eighties, and uh, she had. She was from Sydney, and I met her on the Gold Coast of Australia. And she had, you know, recently begun to chant these mantras and follow this teaching of bhakti yoga. She was interested, etc. And she was up there visiting, you know, a friend, and that's when I met her. Mm-hmm. And then I saw her again in Hawaii some years later, and. Uh, she came to a few uh, gatherings that we had in Hawaii. I'm not me, excuse me. Let me think of it. Yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. The next time I met her was not Hawaii. The next time I met her was in California. That's right. Oh, I see. Yeah, and she came to a few gatherings that we had in California. And, uh, you know, then she eventually moved to Canada. She can tell you that story. And uh, so by now we've had, you know, some communication and association and developed a friendship. And so she invited me to Canada to do some programs in Toronto. That's where she Hmm. lived in Canada. And so I went up there and, and had a retreat and then another retreat. We had a series of retreats over a year some years, and that was in the late 90s, uh, 98, 99, 90s, somewhere in there. And then it's just become, you know, a very close friendship, and 
you know, she's, you know, been hosting retreats for years now since that time in the late 90s. And uh, has invited me to to come and participate in those retreats. And so there's a, there's a kind of a history here, <laughs> you know, how yeah. we became friends. And, and the connection was, you know, through the common interest in bhakti yoga and chanting. And, and uh, that kind of interest, which brought us together. And since then, I've come be closely associated with her husband and her daughter and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I've been there as well in their beautiful retreat center and, and everything. Yeah, so yeah, I remember you really, came up there one time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so if, you'd, if, if you could describe Madhavendra in, in like a sentence, if you, like, <laughs> whoa, how would that be? <laughs> a very well-learned person in the science of bhakti yoga who is very dedicated to giving other people the same opportunity to learn these teachings and practice these meditation techniques and lifestyle techniques of bhakti yoga. You yeah. know, and she's very, yeah, very dedicated to help our spiritual master pass this message to others. Yeah. That's how I would describe her. <laughs> Maybe that That's was a, two sentences. <laughs> uh, right. It's always easier for someone else to say it than herself. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's always from the outside. Maybe I should yeah. just let her in. I don't know. And well, yeah, we'll we'll see where we're going to go with this. I have some ideas as well. And she yeah, has... you can kind of guide it where you like for it to go. <laughs> so I'll see if she, she's here. Namaste. Namaste. Maravindra. Namaste, Valakia. That's so nice to see you and nice to see you. Talk to you live. It's lovely. Can you yeah. hear me okay? We're yeah, here. clear. You. Very Perfectly. good. And the picture's yeah. okay? Yeah. yeah. Cool. We <laughs> did it right this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After the mess up last time. <laughs> Yeah, the lighting's good. Everything is good. Okay, Shelly set it all up because. Uh, oh, good, good. She's the expert yeah. in that area. I have light boxes on either side of me, and yeah. And Madam Andres, oh. she was a bit worried that we, you know, we were in her, in her bedroom. But I said that's great. That's just the mood that we want. You know, okay. just <laughs> relaxed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> This is casual story. Casual okay. podcast. <laughs> okay. Casual <story>. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's early morning for you, yeah, Madhavadra. <laughs> yeah, know. it is. It is. It is. I'm not used to talking at this time of day except to say one thing and, yeah, I have to get my mouth working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still dark outside, I see. It is. It is still dark. Sun hasn't come up yet, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here it's here it's midday. You have morning there, and Valakia is afternoon. So right. yeah, right. I'm late it's afternoon. Right. Starting to get dark here soon. Yeah, it looks beautiful where you are, Valakia. It really looks beautiful. Um, I saw you in a video, sort of charging up a mountain. I'm so impressed with how fit you are. <laughs> Sometimes the mountains charge me. <laughs> I often feel like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, it is beautiful here. The mountains are amazing. 
You're lucky you landed in a good place. I did. I did. And who knows how long you're going to be there. Yeah, I know. Not by design, but by, no. <laughs> by circumstance, as they yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks mm-hmm. like we're not going anywhere for a while either. Yeah, right. We've all been, we've all been grounded. <laughs> yeah. All right. How is uh, how's your family? How's Alan and Shaley? And... Everyone's good. Yeah, everyone's oh, nice. well. Yeah. Please pass both of our hard bowls to them. I will. I will. Yeah. No, we're yeah. all good. Um, yeah, we're doing lots of online stuff, so you know, it's good. Yeah. So you are in Toronto, Madhavendra, and you're. We we briefly spoke about like how Balakia knows you and. But maybe you can briefly introduce sort of where you are in your background. I, I, I mean, I've met you. You're in Toronto and you're basically leading the meditation center or a meditation center in Toronto. Yeah. And I guess that's a part of it, but maybe you can yeah. share a little more about yourself. Okay. I'm trying to think where I originally met Balakia. I believe <laughs> it was in Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago, in the 90s sometime. And uh, we kept running into each other all over the world because we both traveled a lot. And then I saw him in California, in Los Angeles, and then again in Hawaii. And all of this time I'm starting to follow this process of meditation more and more. And uh, then finally I moved to Canada and uh, I... um, I started teaching meditation there, and I invited Balakia Das to come up. And uh, he came up, and he was very well appreciated. And we had retreats, and then he became, the retreats sort of became regular events. Hmm. And uh, he came up twice a year and has been doing so for a very long time. And, you know, we've moved a couple of places and he's been coming except now for the moment, no, but, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the the retreats retreats have been wonderful. I feel very grateful to have Balakir as my friend, very, very grateful. So so how did you, how how did you, like, how was the process of you starting the meditation center and the, because I've only seen the result. Like I was visiting this retreat once, and I saw your beautiful meditation center, and but I don't know the story behind it and how it all for you developed into, you know, from. Well, <laughs> when I, I when I first moved to Toronto in Canada, um, I really um, wanted someone to chat with because I'd come from Australia, and there'd been lots of meditation gatherings there, and. Uh, but when I'm in Toronto, I didn't have anyone to chat with. So I um, started to make flyers and hand them out and uh, people started to come. And then I invited Balakirdas to come and things really took off after that. And uh, he left behind when he came a couple of um, boys who helped me. They helped me distribute flyers. They moved in with us. They moved into our basement, and uh, it just kind of took off from there. And then we had people living with us for a long time. We always had people living with us, actually. We had people living with us in two different houses, and more and more people came. And 
Yeah, that was it. We had daily programs. We had people coming over in the morning for breakfast and we'd have a morning meditation and people would come in the evening and our whole life started to revolve around the meditation. <laughs> and then I um, I got diagnosed with ALS about, oh, let me see, nine years ago, eight or nine years ago, and uh, so I've had to cut back on a lot of the stuff that I did, but I'm still able to give meditation classes and still able to give classes on Zoom and um, I haven't actually cut back on that much, actually, when I think about it. But I have... Yeah, go ahead. No, just... Because I, I I heard about Balaki, I mentioned this, and then I, and then I spoke to someone that said that ninety five percent of the people that get that diagnose within a year they're, you know, leaving this world. So it's, it's just... true. Yeah, I'm a bit of a miracle in that area. I um yes, I should have um I should have passed on a long time ago, but I'm <laughs> but I'm still here and um. There's, I'm limited. I become a little bit more limited every year as to things I can do. But I'm so fortunate that I have so much help. I live with my daughter and her family, and my husband, and then the, the meditation students. They, they all help me. I mean, if I didn't have such a wonderful team around me, it would be very difficult. But yeah, I'd some, I'm very strict with my diet, and uh, you know, strict vegan diet, and no sugar, no wheat, you know, pretty much uh, wow. healthy healthy diet. And I think all of this has contributed to the reason that I'm still around. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Mata used to be a very, very accomplished Hatha yoga teacher as well. Oh, yeah, that, you were. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I stopped doing that. I, I mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I used, to, I used to do that and I loved it and, I would still do it, and occasionally I do some, you know, really passive things. But uh, yeah, it's the wonderful thing is, is if um, you know anything does go wrong with your body, or um, as we get old and we're no longer able to do so much physical stuff, the meditation—it's also yoga. So that's what I've turned to. That's my big thing these days. Is uh, is the mm-hmm. yoga and uh, now the Hatha yoga has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit, you know. Yeah. I'd like in my mind I can do it, and I love. <laughs> <laughs> you can do. You do yeah, the pretzels and, in your head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I could I could probably teach a class because I could talk it through, but I actually can't do it. No. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. but that's okay. You know, I've got the meditation, and that's really. That's my mainstay. Right. And life around changes, but you have the steadiness of that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, the, uh, the disease doesn't make me depressed or anything like that. In fact, I never even think of it. I'm actually so grateful that uh, it's kind of been an opportunity to turn inward rather than you know, the Hatha Yoga is more of an external thing, whereas mm-hmm. the meditation is and this opportunity to turn inward. Right. So, so I've, you know, I've been given that opportunity. And just, yeah. just to say, 
Oh, what were you going to say, Valakia? I was just going to say many people, when their external world kind of deteriorates or changes in what they would view as a negative way, they got nowhere else to go. Yeah. They're just lost. They don't know what to do, and they turn to either depression and anxiety or they turn to some substance abuse or, you know, their life has just been taken away from them. And they, they often say it like that, don't they? I, my life has been taken away. Yeah. Right, you know? right. But you, you know, are an example of how actually that's the external life, but your real life is, is much different than that. You know, it's the internal world of spiritual life. It's true. Yeah, I was told that, you know, and, and that happens to all of us as we maybe we're on our deathbeds and we can't really communicate outside with anyone. And uh, so it's all internal. And if we haven't got anything internal, it's a scary situation. But if we have this whole internal um, no, it's a weird thing happening. You know, it's not a scary situation. We have another another life, really, a spiritual life. So yeah, but, but, that's but, my aim is to focus more on my spiritual life within. But did you ever have any, like, struggles or, or difficulties with that? Or was it like from the start you just felt that you could, I mean, was it, did you ever have any fear or any, you know? over the future when you got diagnosed for example how did you handle that um the hardest thing is if when when i would tell someone and i would get this they would feel sorry for me oh. and that that's the only that was the only hard part actually <laughs> i think i'll go away you know <laughs> and that would make me upset but you know apart from that <laughs> That was that was the hardest thing was, and these were people usually that didn't meditate, and uh, you know, of course, when you hear it, you, it's a shock, you know, because it's a death sentence. But you know, my body's getting older, and we're all going to leave our bodies. We're all going to die. So, um, you know, everybody. What was that old saying? Um, everybody dies, but nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that saying? Yeah. What he died? I knew him. You know, like, well, what is so? Well, why not? You know, <laughs> we all die. So, like, it's it's said as well. Like the 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 day you're born is a death sentence. You you know, to be to be that's, realistic, that's how it is. Like, we all have a terminal disease. We right. leave the world at one point right. or another. Right. <laughs> that, that that is true. But some people say, "Well, that's very negative of you." You know, but. <laughs> It's maybe negative, but it's a fact. But the, the the wonderful thing is, is I'm not really going to die. I'm eternal spirit soul. It's just this body is going to die. I'm going to be giving uh, a talk in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, to um, a group of people that have ALS all over the world. Hmm. And I think oh, I'm going wow. to, yeah, I, I was invited to do that. So, um, And these are people that have kind of have managed to, stay alive longer but you know it's a lot of them are in wheelchairs and you know they're not walking and you know maybe on breathing apparatus so they're in a worse state than i am at the moment but um one of my main focuses will be to tell them you're not this body that's um falling apart on you you're the spirit soul within the body so 
I'm hoping that will be of some help and teach them how to meditate. Yeah. Because if you think you're the body and your body is falling apart, that is a depressing situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You you may remember the story about that Rosalila, she was a Rosalila was a very good friend of ours. Yeah. And she uh she developed breast cancer and was dealing with that for seven years. And somewhere during the latter period of that time, she joined this online group of ladies who had breast cancer. It was a kind of an online support group for each other. Mm -hmm. And so they had a bulletin board where people could post things. And many times the post on the bulletin board was, oh, so-and-so has died, so-and-so has departed, you know, deceased, and so on. You know, because that's what happens, right? So she thought, well, I'm going to put something different up there. So she put that verse from Bhagavad Gita, for the soul there's neither birth nor death, mm -hmm. nor having once been does he ever cease to be. The soul is eternal, ever-existing, primeval, unchangeable. The soul is not slain when the body is slain. She posted that on that bulletin board. And she had so many ladies respond to her, you know, thank you so much for that. You know, I had never really understood this or heard this so clearly put. And one lady said it's, it's just completely taken away the fear and anxiety from this whole, you know, drama that I'm experiencing. And she, she placed that wow. saying on her refrigerator, on the mirror in the bathroom, you know, just around obvious places where she'd see it as she moved about her house, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's a, such a, a an important message and, and such a comforting message. You're not going to die, you know. And so, yeah. That's a thank you for that. I'll, I will also read that verse from the Bhagavad Gita when I'm when I'm giving this talk. So thank yeah, you, yeah. thank you for the reminder. I remember Rasalila Dasi once she, when she was staying with us in Toronto when we lived downtown, and uh, she was she was staying with us and a friend of ours who was also a meditation student, Ron. He had his brother come over to meet Rasalila because his brother had liver cancer and it was pretty far gone. He was like stage four liver cancer. And Rasalila was um, stage four breast cancer. And I just remember seeing them together and he was like, oh, depressed and, you know, no light to him at all. And there was Rasalila glowing you know, looking like <laughs> so happy. And this was, you know, her internal relationship with the Supreme. I mean, this was, the, and the difference was amazing. You know, wow. the, it was just amazing. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. She was very inspiring to have around. Yeah, she was definitely, definitely really clear on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but thank you for that verse on the Bhagavad Gita. That would be a nice thing to read, to read to them. Chapter 2, text 20, I think. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. So, 
go, going back to your like what how how your I'm I'm thinking you might have do you have <laughs> how am I gonna put this? I'm thinking that you might have some stories perhaps to share over things you've done together in the past. So I'm just like <laughs> do you do you guys have some story to share something that you've been through some I remember once, um, yeah, I, I remember once, um, I just flashed in my mind this, where we were both at a retreat in Switzerland, in Gestad, and it was it was a wonderful retreat. Do you remember that one with oh, Tuesday? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 it was a really special retreat, and um, it only lasted, what, two weeks or something uh-huh. like that? Yeah. Two and, weeks, yeah. yeah. And um, they'd rented this nice chalet and, you know, there was a whole bunch of people from Poland and some from Australia, all over the world were there, the US, they'd all come to this retreat. And uh, we'd get up very, no, no, five or six in the morning, have a morning meditation program. Then everyone would go off and ski for the day and I'd never quite seen snow like this because I'd lived in Australia at the time. This was before I moved to Canada. And... Uh, <laughs> And then in the evening, we'd have another meditation program. So that was a wonderful little retreat, that one, and very, very special. So, mm, yeah, yeah Balakir and I bounced all over the world at different places that we've seen each other. And uh, <laughs> someone someone once told me, have mantra, we'll travel. And yeah, I've heard that too. It's really true. It's really true. You know, I've done a lot of this. The nice thing I found with this um, meditation is, you know, most parts of the world, not all, but most parts of the world I can travel to, and they'll be doing exactly the same thing as me. So it's like going home everywhere I go. Very nice. I, I totally understand. I'm also the traveler, you know, just like <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I wasn't mm-hmm. able to, or I haven't done so much traveling with meditation as of yet, you know, like like you perhaps have. But yeah. The world has been changed now, so it's it's a bit harder, but, <laughs> but it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in in many different countries teaching these meditation techniques and the philosophy of bhakti yoga, and you know, I've had people at big public lectures ask me, well, why did you come to Russia? Why did you come to Poland? You know, and, and like, we already have, you know, something. What'd you come here for? I said, I'm just here to pass on this knowledge that's helped me so much, and I'm just trying to give, you know, as many people in as many countries as I can the same opportunity that was given to me. You know, and then they go, oh, okay. <laughs> It's like they think you're trying to come here to convert them, you know. But it was it's not like that at all. We're just presenting this. And, uh, you know, if, if a person had cancer and somebody came from another country with a cure, would you, you know, say, well, what are you here for, you know? <laughs> what do you want from me, you know? Leave me alone with my cancer. <laughs> you know, no, you'd say, oh, wow. You've got some solution to my problem, then you'd be all ears. And so it's it's kind of like that. Some people see, wow, like this this thing that we were speaking about, Rosalila posted on on this uh, bulletin board. I mean, 
a lot of people had never heard that kind of information before, mm. you know. And if they'd heard it, it was just in some setting or some situation where it just wasn't relevant to them. It didn't have anything to do with, with their life at that time. Now it's a completely different story, and it's got everything to do with their life, yeah. you know. And so, you know, it's, it's what, you know, we just try to offer. It's like this podcast. We're just trying to offer people this opportunity that, that we've been offered by our spiritual masters and, and let those who find value, let them, you know, receive that. And others, they have the freedom to continue with whatever they think is the right way for them. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and how is, like, you're, you're traveling, Madhavendrapuri, like, why... Or what, what need did that fulfill in you? Or what, what, what did you feel you got from that? Or, or what was the driving force? like? <laughs> the traveling. I just, yeah. I don't know. That was just a natural thing with me. I liked to, tra I liked to travel. Um, and then you just, like when you started meditating and living this lifestyle, you sort of took that tendency and just... Travel to other people, places where other people were meditating, really. Exactly. That was, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and, and somehow I ended up in Canada, which was by divine intervention because it was not one of those places that I even was attracted to. I was I was very much a tropical island person. You know, but uh, somehow I ended up here and uh, it's really been perfect. I remember once a friend of mine said to me, um, I, I listed out all these places I'd travelled to and I found there was something wrong with each place. Like I'd been in the Philippines and there was too many mosquitoes. I'd been in Indonesia and the, you know, the laws were very stringent for people staying and just all these different countries I listed out uh, that I liked but um, I found something wrong with. And he turned around and he said to me, you're looking for the spiritual world. And so here I am is in the most imperfect place materially for what I had always had in mind that I would love, but I'm actually very happy here. So. Madhavrinda, tell a story about how you came to Toronto in summer. Remember that story? Oh, right. <laughs> I, I like that story. <laughs> thought I it came, would be 30 degrees warm. And, uh, well, no, warm. It, it, it was warm. It was warm. And I think, you oh, know, this is nice, you know. And, and you know, I, I like it here. And it was, you know, it was the middle of summer. And then I um, came back because I'd met my husband. And uh, at the beginning of winter, it was more fall. But fall here is like an Australian winter. It's as cold as it gets in Australia. And I would say to my husband, is this as cold as it gets? He'd say, no, it gets much colder than this. <laughs> and as, as it kept going, I was like so cold, I couldn't believe it. I had never experienced such cold. And I didn't have the clothes for it. I was wearing his coats. And uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, it was a shock. It was quite the shock at first. I was thinking this country is for bears. It's not for people. It's... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, here I am, and now we're heading into winter again, and it's a long winter, really. Um, in Australia, they have like a six-week winter, 
where I was, but here it's a six-month winter. <laughs> so anyway, that's all. You know, as I said, it's what's happening inside really that's important. So I was talking to um, someone the other day and some people when they get sick, they they like to stay in that room. Do You know, it's like you go into the cancer room or you go into the ALS room and that's where they're going to stay. You know, they're going to feel, you know, Oh, I've got this disease, I'll be depressed about it. And that's where they like to be. Mm. And you can't get them out of there, really. That's, you know, free will. If that's where they want to stay, that's where they want to stay. So uh, it's like people might be angry or depressed and they'll go into their depression room or their anger room. And uh, that's... Why do, why, why do we do that? Is that a way to, some way to deal with it or why... <laughs> I think Balakir would be the best person to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just an open. Just... Well, you know, there's a lot of things you could say, but mainly it's just self-pity. Yeah. You know? you know, woe is me, I got cancer. Woe is me, I got ALS. Or, woe is me, I'm, you know, my husband left me or whatever. Right. You know, and they just kind of, when I was young, they even say, you're wallowing in your own pity. You know, mm. and uh, it's, there's a certain kind of weird comfort there. You know, it's like a strange escape into your own misery. And like you said, Madhavendra, you try to get them out of there and they don't want to leave. Right. You know, and uh, just leave me alone kind of thing. Right. Yes. I, it's, I heard someone say once that self-pity is a form of anger and it's yeah. actually the most nauseating form of anger. So when I feel sorry for myself, I always think that I think I'm just really angry at the situation and snap out of it, you know, but uh, it's, you, people don't see, it's very hard to see actually that self-pity is a form of anger. Yeah, and when I, I heard that also, uh, and I was, I'd never thought of that before, really, personally. Yeah. And I went, yeah, I mean, you can see it once you are confronted with that. It's like, yeah, you know, you're just angry at, at the situation and whatever, whatever. But it doesn't manifest exactly as anger as it does, like, woe is me, kind of. <laughs> Right. And so it's so unattractive to be around people that feel sorry for themselves. You think, oh, God, I've got to get away from this person, you know, people that, you know, are in, but really nobody likes to be around an angry person either. That's very true. I was just going to say that. Like it's, it's like some kind of like cloud. You know, yeah. From an angry person, you feel like this mood is heavy. Yes. Yeah. And they want to be around you because misery loves company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And maybe they can get someone else to feel sorry for them as well, you know. <laughs> That's a bonus. Right. <laughs> that, yeah. But you said something very important, Monogrand. You said when I find that happening, or I, some, I snap out of it. You know, I remember. The philosophy of truth is so important to know and to apply because all of us go through all these things, you know, on different stages at different times or whatever. But if you've got the philosophy of truth to bring you out of that, you can you can know 
well, what's going on, rather than just getting sucked into it and buried by it. You know, so that's why, you know, this teaching of truth is so, so valuable in everyday life because so many things occur to everybody, not just those people and those people, but all of us. And the philosophy makes the big difference. Like Rosalila got four, stage four cancer. Ron's brothers got stage four cancer. But there's two different worlds here. One of them seeing it from one complete different perspective than the other. And the philosophy and the meditation and so on made it so one is bright, and the absence of that made it so one is so dark and depressed and, you know, such negative, you know, view of everything and whatever. So this is not just some theosophical thing to consider, you know, around the coffee table, as that friend said. Not yeah. coffee table philosophy. You no, know, this is... Yeah, it's something to apply. Well, it just pop, popped into my mind. Who was it that said, "And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free"? Was that Jesus? Uh, yes, it was. Mm. Yeah, that just popped into my mind. And what you're saying, yeah, yeah. If you know the truth, then you're free from all that stuff. Yeah, and and and, and I immediately just had this thought of yeah, because you can't fake that like we can on the outside we can pretend like this and this or we can you know but but in reality in our heart we we know where we are and we can't fake that like you're you're faced with a situation like in your situation you have that disease and you're like that's the reality that's what you have to face with and you can't like we can't philosophize our way out of that we got to make it real like we got to get to the heart level i'm i'm reading <laughs> you know i'm our Vedic scriptures, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and right now I'm, re I'm reading this chapter about the change of heart. You know, the, that is what is required, because nothing else will will make it so that I'm prepared for this journey to come. Because that's that's what I'll have. I'll have the heart. I'll have me going on and my internal life. That is my heart. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to carry on, or that's what will carry on to the next life or in the next whatever yeah where i'll be yeah <laughs> that is true yeah it's internal work internal work that's where the change takes place mm -hmm. what did our spiritual master say it's easy to change all the external things you know change your location, change your way you look, change your hairstyle, change your friendships, change, you know, whatever, whatever. That's easy, but it's not so easy to change your heart. See? For that I need your help, O oh Lord, you know. And that's, that's what people, you know, almost are refusing to do, is just ask the Lord, help me out of this, you know. And I can't change my heart, but you can change my heart. Yeah, so. Well, I, I guess for to, to have to to do that, you have to really face the reality of the, 
kind of like they say the pure precariousness of the situation like how vulnerable you are how small you are how unable you are to control that like it's it's out of my hands <laughs> i can only pray for help and i need help like yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting when people get in really really bad difficult situations and they actually see that i i can't deal with this personally then they'll oftentimes turn to god because they got nowhere else to go mm. you know final option yeah you know, like the airplane flying along and you know the the uh, pilot announces you know everybody please you know tighten your seat belts put on your seat belts one of the engines has failed you know before that, everybody's eating and watching the movies and enjoying. <laughs> but that announcement comes on, you know, and, you know, people get very serious and they stop all their enjoyment, you know, and then he says, oh, we're losing another engine and it looks like we're going to crash. And everybody becomes very religious. Oh, God, please help me. You know, God, and they're praying and they're calling out to God and, and so on, you know. And then he comes on again. <laughs> Oh, everything is okay. We've got everything going now. You know, the emergency is over, and everybody's back to enjoying, <laughs> watching the movie, eating, having a good time. You know, so yeah. And and even the most devoted, devout atheist will pray to God when it's like that. Oh, God, help me! But why? You say there is no God. Who are you praying to? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, but a wise person doesn't depend on those situations to make that happen because they're understanding that no, this is our every day, all the time, protection and shelter and comfort and you know happiness and et cetera, et cetera, and. So that's that's their life, really. I guess and the emergencies come or don't come; they're they're still there. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like maybe it's sometimes better when they're obviously there. <laughs> like I, you know, for for my sake, so far I'm very healthy, like living in the most beautiful place on the planet. That I, at least I think so. Trumps are just the nature is so amazing. <laughs> I have nothing to complain about materially, but it's easy then to to fall into the illusion, like you talked about. Like this is my home, and this is an eternal. Like I can I can be happy here. You know, this is I don't need to search anymore. So in some sense, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it it can be a blessing to also have some challenge or to have a diagnosis like you do, Madhavendra. To then you know that. Wow, you actually, it's kind of like, like you said, with this airplane analogy, like, yeah, like you, you know that the plane crash is going to be there, like you, you're more aware of it, you're more conscious, it's there, it's, you, you cannot hide it anymore, like it's more obviously a reality that you'll have to face. And then it's an opportunity. Right. It's an opportunity to turn a negative thing into a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when everything's going good, it, we can if we can just remember this is a bubble, and this bubble's gonna pop. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is this is not gonna last forever. <laughs> you know. 
And it's a real shame I'm reading that a lot of people are um, with this whole situation in the world at the moment, um, a lot of people are turning to uh, alcohol and drugs and the sales are going way up on opioids and that's so sad it that is. they're turning in that direction instead. Yeah. I don't know about where you are, but in North America that appears to be what's happening. Yeah. But yeah. Th- 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 thinking about that, Madam Andrew, just came something to my mind. Like, how how was your life before you before you met meditation and started living this lifestyle? <laughs> I'm not sure if you were into drugs, and <laughs> but I just came to my mind. Like, you're living in Australia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. You know, I'm a child of the '60s. I mean, what was it? Tune in, turn on, drop out. You know, so. <laughs> I was I was part of that era so yes I was into all that and I um but I I got to a point where um I remember one day after I had been to a big party and then and I'm walking along the beach the next morning and uh I just the thought came into my head okay I've had enough of this I'm ready to give my life to you God I just remember thinking that and when I did some people moved next door to me and across the street that taught this meditation. And it was like man proposes and God disposes. And uh, it was like when I had that thought, that sort of commitment in my mind, all of a sudden I uh, got surrounded by people that were willing to help me do that. So that was how, and and then I got, I had, because I had done Hatha yoga for many years before I started to meditate and it wasn't quite enough. It wasn't enough to control my mind or my emotions and I really wanted to control those two things. So I tried all these, I'd read all these books and I tried all these different types of meditations, mainly silent meditation and I'd even tried breathing in, I remember breathing in yellow and breathing out blue or something like all these really quite stupid meditations that I tried and <laughs> nothing really worked. Or I'd try, I tried silent meditation and I would do, before I did the silent meditation, I'd do an hour of Hatha yoga, then I'd do some pranayama, which is a deep breathing, and then I'd sit there and I'd try to keep my mind silent and I'd do it. For a minute, silent mind, and I think, oh, I've got it. And that's a thought, and you've lost it. And so at that time, I wished I knew a mantra. And I'd heard um, a mantra, and I thought, I wonder if this is a mantra. So I started um, saying this mantra over and over again in my mind, and this is the mantra that we chant. Um, I later found out that this was a bona fide mantra and then I was taught how to do meditation, mantra meditation, um, and that was the one for me. And I started practising it every day. I'd go down into the backyard and sit under a tree and practise for 15 minutes and after a week I thought, oh, I feel better after this. This is really good. Maybe if I increase it a little bit I'll feel even better. So I so I did, and you know, here I am. I don't know how many years, only forty years later, I'm still doing it, and can't imagine my life without it. But um, yeah, it was like I got surrounded by it. And then a friend of mine came to visit me, and he knew the people next door, and 
anyway, he was the one that taught me how to meditate. Wow. <laughs> and also the, the people next door, they had a lot of kids and they were taking my daughter to meditation gatherings and I was noticing, wow, she's mellowing out a little bit because <laughs> she was super... <laughs> Whatever they're doing is pretty good. So just a few different things happened around me, you know. Because the kids, they would come and they'd come to go to a kutan and they'd, they'd chant a little bit and then they'd play a little bit and then they'd chant and they'd play. And, yeah, it was just all really nice. Very hard to get a kid to sit down for any length of time and um, silently meditate. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> I even want to try that one. <laughs> But um, they, it's natural for children to like to sing. And my granddaughter, I remember, she would be singing the mantras when she was like one year old or two years old, playing with her toys, and she'd be just singing to her toys and not realising she was meditating, just singing away, you know, and she's a really mellow kid. <laughs> and, of course, now she's 14, so it's... um. A difficult oh, age. Challenging age, yeah. Yeah, so at least she has that. Yeah, yeah teens are very, oh, teens are so challenging these days with social media and trying to keep them away from it, which is influencing their lives so much and it's almost <laughs> impossible and, yeah, very difficult for teens these days. Uh, just since you've been, you know, around for <laughs> Ever. I was gonna say, like, since you're so old. <laughs> watch out, Ruben. Watch out. <laughs> Not supposed to say that. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no, just, uh, it's just like, so, yeah. So, if you take a step back to the world, like, and through the years that you've seen the world change, like, in which direction has it been, and how is it different now from what it's been before, like? Because you were saying about the social media, I, I know that that didn't exist at least like 10 years ago or something. You know, I, I'm just, how has it How has changed? it changed? Oh, my God, <laughs> radically, radically, you know, just in my, I, I can't tell you, you know, things that were almost illegal when I was young and now totally accepted. Um, I don't want to be politically incorrect by uh, listing out so many things, but... Um, so I'm not going to, but major changes, major changes. Life was a lot simpler. It seemed to me a lot simpler when I was growing up. When I was growing up, there wasn't even TV. It just came out, and I remember my um, parents would take me and my brother down to the corner electrical store and we'd look at the TV through the window of the store. And then finally we got a television and you know, we were never allowed to watch it more than like a half an hour a day. And uh, I mean, it was just and there was there was wasn't that much on TV. It went off for the night, I think, at ten o'clock. Do you remember how they maybe it wasn't the same in the states? But then this sort of all these lines would come across the TV in different colours when they turned off for the night and. Test pattern, yeah. Just... Yeah, test pattern, that's right, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it'd come on at a certain time and go off at a certain time and that was yeah. it, you know. Yeah, and that's right. So, you know, yeah, I am really old, you're right. I can remember all these things, but, yeah, <laughs> the, 
I mean, now it's 24-7 in your hand, on your wrist. It's, exactly. You're bombarded. Yeah, and it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, the kids aren't playing outside all the time, and if they are, the parents are watching them. And we lived on the, we lived on the street up in trees and, you know, did all kinds of actually quite dangerous things, but we're still here. I think those yeah, it's different, completely different world altogether. Yeah. And when you were a kid, when I was a kid, you know, there wasn't that much trouble to get into. You no. know, <laughs> I mean, there just wasn't. Now, it's like every step. You know, it's it's you don't even have to go out of the house to get in trouble. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, like, instead of climbing up at the tree and facing the difficulty of perhaps you're falling down, they have the phone and they have TikTok and you have all the really, really weird people on TikTok that are trying to get your kids, you know? I mean, yeah. so you have, like, the, yeah. the gun in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, you know... And people, especially younger people that are watching this, oh, those old fuddy duddies, they, <laughs> you know, what do they know? Yeah. You know, they're old fossils that are just sitting there. Yeah, talking. but kid, kids weren't going to psychiatrists or killing themselves or doing any of that, of that no, then. No, I don't. There was no drugs. There was no anything, really, the, all those things that are, Everywhere didn't even exist around my world when I grew up. Me too. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, you didn't lock your house. Kids could go out and play all day, you know, and parents weren't worried. They knew they'd come home, you know, in and, and the evenings and, oh, maybe somebody kidnapped. Nobody ever kidnapped anybody, <laughs> you know. It was just so, so, like you said, simple, so easy, and and it just created a different consciousness, really. You know, and I grew up in a Christian world, you know, a Christian community in the southern United States, and you know, church was a big focal part of the community. You know, and. You know, I almost didn't know anybody that didn't go to church. Everybody went to church, you know, and you read the Bible and you heard all the stories about Jesus and, you know, and it wasn't like anybody forcing something. That's just what your parents did. That's what your friends did. That's what your neighbors did. And it was just like normal, but it produced a different result, you know. And there was a clear understanding of what is right and what is wrong, and this is not to be done. And and you just grew up with that. Hmm. And like I say, all those things that are so common now didn't even exist then. Hmm. So say what you want, but that was a whole another time period. And, and it's, sort of, yeah, it's scary to think how it might be in another 50 years. Yeah, I can't even imagine. No. You know. I remember, I remember we had a previous 
talk about Ken. He said, that's like George Harrison said, you know, uh, his solution was like, I got to get out of this world. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's just, yeah. yeah, there's a better place for you and me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Somebody sung that too. George yeah. Harrison. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 George Harrison. Gotta get out. Yeah. Gotta get out of this world. <laughs> yeah. So, and that was also somebody else saying it. it was it was a kind of a theme song. Where I was in the military for six years, and you know that was kind of like a not a theme song, but a lot of us used to sing that song. <laughs> you know, we got to get out of here. You know, got to get out of this world, meaning get out of the military. <laughs> you know, most people didn't like it. I mean, it wasn't their first choice. This was back during the Vietnam War, and you know, you were kind of forced into going into the military. And uh, so a lot of people were just around me and, and my group of friends were just putting in their obligation. And when that was over, they were happy about it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you were drafted, uh, were you? I wasn't drafted, but I was going to be drafted. And then 1965, when you were drafted, you automatically were sent to Vietnam. I mean, it was like understood. You know, a few did not go to Vietnam, but almost everybody did because that's what they drafted you for. Right. <laughs> and so I was told by the, or my father was told by the lady who ran the draft board in our small little town, everybody knows everybody, that if, if I didn't get into a university or a graduate program or something, because I'd already graduated from university. I'd be drafted in in uh, October. So in September, I joined the Coast Guard Reserve because the Coast Guard Reserve was a pretty safe place to be. I, I, I figured if, if they send the Coast Guard Reserve to Vietnam, Everybody's going to go anyway, you know, and and it was it's true. It, it, I didn't have to go to Vietnam, and you know, I just was you know in the states the whole time, and you know, did my my time as active duty, and then was in the reserves, and so it it served my purpose. That's the point, you know. I I didn't have to go. I remember that time, and everybody that I met, it were young young men, because uh, I was traveling around Europe at that time, and I remember these young boys that had gone AWOL from Vietnam or had been in Vietnam, done their stint, and they were all severely mentally affected by that war. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were so badly affected. It was such a nasty war. Yeah. And for no reason. I mean, you kind of understood there's no real reason for us to be there. None. You know, whereas in World War II or one or whatever, mm -hmm. it was a obvious patriotic effort to, you know, whatever, to stop the bad guys, so to speak. But Vietnam, I mean, nobody knew Vietnam. <laughs> nobody cared anything about it. Just some place out there in the, you know, the middle of the ocean, like, what's that all about? Why are we here? You know, what are we supposed to do here? You know, just kill a bunch of people for what? So, yeah, it was, you know, very 
mentally disturbing situation. Mm. Yeah, and I had friends that went there and didn't come back. Mm. You know. I remember once one guy I surfed with a lot, Robbie Raft was his name. And so he got drafted and he goes to Vietnam. And then he came back on leave. And he said, man, the surf is so good in Vietnam. I'm taking back two surfboards. And he did. He got two surfboards, and he went back, and I never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him. But I never, I never saw him again. So, yeah, it was many of those uh, stories. And Yeah. But after all of that, you know, somehow or other, you know, you, I, Reuben, we all came to this bhakti yoga process and saw the value and, you know, took it up as our life and different backgrounds. I mean, he's from Sweden, you know, just a mountain guide guy, Madhavendra's, you know, world traveler from Australia, you know, you know very attracted to the tropics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I, I love the winter, <laughs> and <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and I grew up in in, in the <laughs> south, and you know, went through the military, and you know, spending my whole life surfing in Hawaii, and so very different stories from each of us, but we all yeah. came to the same conclusion, you know, that there's something beyond all of this, and. Like for you and for me and Reuben, we weren't suffering, and it's not like we had some real terrible material situation. Mm -hmm. We were trying to escape to religion because of it. You know, I mean, we were all kind of riding the crest of the wave, you know, healthy, young, having a good time yeah. in life, yeah. materially speaking, etc. But Understand, like you said, walking down the beach. I'm oh, this. I'm this is enough. I'm over it. You know. You know. I want God in my life. So, yeah, we want everybody to know that this is not just for one particular segment of the population. That's this way or that way. This is for anybody and everybody from any walk of life, any age group, any gender group, any nationality. Or, profession or whatever. Mm. And it's practical. It it's I guess it's because we're soon gonna have a I want to organize a live stream on the top on the topic of how to adapt to a changing world. And if you would look if we look back to what we just discussed, that's what it what it comes back to. Yeah, like the world is around us is changing. It's 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 always going to change, and that's just the nature of of the material world. <laughs> so we need to we need to find that shelter within, and shelter in the supreme, shelter in God, ultimately. Yeah. To, yeah. And it's picking up speed. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> so quickly. Yeah. Did you have any last story or thing you wanted to say, Madhavendra? Anything you'd like to share before we have a kirtan that we're going to end with? <laughs> uh, not that comes right to my mind, but um, I'd like to have a little kirtan. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Madhavendra, I have to say, you look very good. 
Well, so do you, Valerie. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. Ruben always looks good, you know. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Young guy. <you> know? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, it's that internal smile that's that's real, you know. And, uh, yeah, people ask me, well, why do you give these classes for free? And um I say, well, I've gotten so much out of it, I just want to pass it on. Yeah. That's pretty much it, you know. It's And that's how it is. It's like, oh, this is really good. You know, I want you to have this too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every day you wake up, it's like, wow, this is good. Okay, so, yeah, let's have a, a short cue time. Yeah. And... Um. Yeah. Go ahead. What? Uh, I just need to say a technical thing that Madhuran, you might have to mute yourself during the kirtan. Or, or okay, I can I can do that. I can do that. The mantra is Goranga Haribo.
Kirtan's the end of the day. <laughs> well, the end of the day. Kirtan to start the, <laughs> the day. Begin the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Thank you very, very much, Manu Andros. Very, very nice to meet you. And I, you know, it's funny. I, it, it just like kind of, what do you say? Like. <laughs> I don't know, reminiscing on the past, like looking back back on the past, it was early on in my, when I met this meditation that I met you in Toronto and joined your retreat with you and Barakia. And so for me, it was very, you know, special. That was a really, the, the, when I really took this at heart and really made a, like made a decision that this is what I want to do, that, that was at the retreat, uh, you know your retreat so i just <laughs> uh, yeah. right thank you yeah maravinda nice to see you and speak with you and mm. associate very nice to be too i don't know if you can hear me now can you hear me yeah yeah oh yeah okay yeah it's been very special for me i thank you for your association as well yeah. <laughs> made a big impact on my life and Ruben, thank you as always. I'm just a, I'm just <laughs> the coordinator. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that's what I. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Valkia. So, let's so Madhav, end there. So you, Madhavendra, again, uh, thank you and thank pass. you.
my regards and Ruben's regards and Harry Bowl, etc., to everyone there. The family. Yeah. Thank you. I will. I will. Thank you very much. And thank you for these podcasts, which are wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess the time is up. We have to run. I got another program. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Thanks to everyone for listening to this whenever you're listening and yeah. tuning in. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. It's, uh, and if you like what we're doing, you know, subscribe to the broadcast. Leave your comments. Yep. Right. Yeah. Share the link, as they say. Pass it on to your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Namaste. Haribo. 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 Namaste. Haribo. Yes, like we said, please, uh, if you are listening to the podcast through Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, then you know that you can always subscribe and then you'll automatically get updated when we have a new episode up. So that might be a good idea. Uh, you can always do that on YouTube as well. And, uh, you know, make sure to join our email list if you'd like to get updates from us. And uh what more? Yeah, you can always contribute to the podcast on patreon.com uh, to help us run the project on and perhaps spread this wisdom and inspiration to more people. I will see you soon again. Make sure to stay true to yourself and dare to break trail. Mm -hmm.